Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. We're doing something just a little bit different today. Entirely new territory for us in terms of the different thing that we're doing. So we know we have really amazing listeners who have been with us basically since day one. They were listening to the show when it was Candace and Josh, and it was called Factor Factor Fiction, and the episodes were five minutes long. And, like, those folks have stayed with us this entire time. And then we know we also have other amazing people who came in later and then went back to the beginning and listened to every single episode, which I applaud you. I've only ever managed to do that with Welcome to Night Vale, and that is way fewer episodes than ours, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be our 782nd episode. Although uh, the math is a little fuzzy because some of them are two parts and a few of them in the archive are reruns. So anybody who has listened to 782 episodes of our show, uh, shout out to you. That's incredible. But we also have so many new people who are a lot newer to the podcast and haven't been listening for nearly as long. And we know this uh, because, number one, a lot more people are listening to the show now than we're in 2008. And number two, a lot of the requests that we get for episodes for us to talk about are actually things that past hosts have already done. So in today's podcast, what we're going to do is give the highlights on some of these episodes that people really ask for again and again and again. Uh, we will give a brief hint of what each of them is about, and then we are going to put links to all of them on our blog We're also planning to work up a playlist from them that will be shareable. So it's sort of like one of our unearthed episodes that we do every year, except instead of things that were unearthed in other people's attics, they are things we're unearthing out of our own archive. (laughs) Um, So all of these are from previous hosts of the show. None of them are things that Holly and I have worked on together. So you'll get to hear some new voices if you go listen to these from the archive. But we've also curated the list so that it includes the episodes that are most like what the show has involved evolved into in terms of the length and the way it approaches subjects. So it uh, probably will not seem completely jarring to hear a similarly structured podcast just with different hosts. Uh, a few of them are a little shorter than our episodes are today, but for the most part, it's because they don't have listener mail at the end. So the first one we're going to talk about is the Edmund Fitzgerald. And the episode that we're referencing is from April 11th of 2011, and it was hosted by Sarah and Dublina. And that podcast on the Edmund Fitzgerald is admittedly a little bit tricky to find if you do not already know where it is, because it is in a bigger episode called Five Shipwreck Stories. So if you just search by Edmund Fitzgerald, you may have some trouble. Uh, although I think Tracy may have retagged it, so it's easier to find that way. I tried to. Uh, yeah, we're, we've been going back and retagging. Tracy has really been a champion on that, but you know, 782 episodes. They may not <laughs> all be. There's a lot to go back and retag. So this is the only, uh, roundup episode that we're also including in this roundup. So we don't wind up in some co- sort of recursive podcast loop. It's some sort of Edmund Fitzgerald inception, but, <laughs> but, uh, so many people have asked about the Edmund Fitzgerald that we did not want to leave this one out. So the many, many requests for the Edmund Fitzgerald are actually not new at all. When Sarah and Dublina asked for some shipwreck episode suggestions, at that time, the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald was like far and away the most requested one that they got. It's because of that song. Yeah, uh, they, they theorized that maybe that's one of the reasons in the episode. Yeah. 
So in brief, the SS Edmund Fitzgerald, captained by Ernest M. McSorrell, sank in Lake Superior on November 10th of 1975 with the loss of all 29 on board. It was accompanied on its journey across the lake by Arthur M. Anderson, captained by Bernie Cooper. And one of the eeriest things about this story was that the two captains were in radio contact with each other for much of the voyage before the Edmund Fitzgerald fell silent. And the exact cause of that shipwreck is still a mystery. And that is something that Sarah and Dublina discuss. So when you go back to that episode, you will get more info on that mysterious vanishing. Next up in our frequent requests is Mary Seacole, which is from uh, February 24th, 2010. And that is when Katie and Sarah were hosting the show together. And Katie had a particular fondness for Mary Seacole because she was a nurse. And Katie's mother also is a nurse. Uh, Mary Seacole was born in Jamaica and developed nursing skills there during a cholera epidemic. She then put those skills to use in other epidemics in Jamaica, California, and Panama before going to uh, put them into practice on the front lines during the Crimean War. And Katie and Sarah talk about the context for the Crimean War before getting into Mary Seacole's time as a nurse there. She worked at a hospital where she earned the nickname the Black Nightingale, and she worked on the battlefields themselves. Mary Seacole's work was really, really important, and she was way ahead of her time in terms of nursing and medicine. She also chronicled her story in the delightfully titled autobiography, The Wonderful Adventures of Mrs. Seacole in Many Lands. Uh, the next one that's often requested is the Halifax explosion, and this was covered on December 19th of 2011, again by Sarah and Dublina. And the short version is that on December 6th of 1917, two ships, the Emo and the Mont Blanc, collided in Halifax Harbor. And the Mont Blanc was packed with truly staggering amounts of explosives. When people on shore and in the neighboring piers saw the Mont Blanc on fire and they did not realize how dangerous its cargo was, this big crowd of spectators started to gather. And there were definitely also people who were helping. There was also a lot of people who were just looking. And that meant that when the Mont Blanc exploded, more than 1,800 people were killed and thousands more were injured, many of them with eye injuries that resulted in blindness. Sarah and Dublina talk in a lot more detail about exactly what happened and the investigations into who was at fault, as well as the aftermath of this whole massive incident. We actually get two distinct categories of emails about the Halifax explosion, and one of them is the request that we do an episode on it. The other is a note from people who have heard that episode, and they've written in to tell us that every year Halifax sends a Christmas tree to Boston as thanks for the city's help. Uh, after the disaster, we actually got one of these literally last night. <laughs> I wrote this episode outline yesterday. A few hours later, we got another email asking us to talk about the Christmas tree. Uh, and also, by total coincidence, we're recording this on December the 1st. And this year, the Christmas tree is being lit on December 3rd. Uh, I don't know if I'll get over there to see it in person because I would need to leave work early to do that. And I already left work early once this week to go to a lecture about Harvard's uh, collection of Medici documents. Um, so I'll definitely try to get over and see it on Boston Common and take some pictures to share with everybody, uh, regardless of where whether I make it over there for the tree lighting. Uh, before anybody writes to say a Medici podcast would be cool, we have like seven of them. There are a whole lot. Yeah, there's like a series. It's awesome. Uh, so, so the next one that's oft requested is uh, Chung Yi Sao. 
And this was recorded on March 9th of 2011, also by Sarah and Dublina. And this podcast on Chungi Sao can be tricky to find because uh, before you even get into the multiple spellings that are sometimes used for her name, she's referred to by two different names. Yeah, depending on where you're reading this, she is either referred to as Chung Yi Sao, which means wife of Chung Yi, or Chung Shi, which means Chung's widow. So she's a wife or a widow, depending. Most of the requests that we get to talk about her ask us to discuss Chung Shi, uh, perhaps because that's the name that the rejected princesses used when they did a post about her. But in the podcast, Sarah and Dublina used the name Chung Yi Sao. They also actually titled the podcast Don't Cross the Dragon Lady because that was her nickname. Yeah. Uh, but so that's one where I went in on our website and put her actual name in the title so that people can find it on our website more easily. So Chungi Sao was a pirate. And contrary to the stereotypes that most of us think about when it comes to pirates, she was a woman. She was from China and she was not remotely a loner. She commanded what was basically a pirate empire. She did become a pirate by marrying into a pirate family. So that was the Chung Yi that uh, people name her in reference to. Uh, but she used some real business savvy to take it to a whole other level. And her pirate confederation, like when we say a whole other level, it is no joke. She had six fleets of ships. Fleets, not a fleet of ships, six ships, but six full fleets. 400 junks and a staff of 70,000 pirates. So she was really rather amazing. Also a very complex character in history. Yeah. And also in the pretty amazing and kind of a complex story is Pope Joan, which is under the title, Was There a Female Pope? And that came along on September 6th of 2010 and was hosted by Katie and Sarah. So Katie and Sarah talk about whether Pope Joan was a real person or not. The story was that Joan was in love with a scholar and followed him to Athens. And since a woman couldn't join the Benedictine monastery where he was studying, she disguised herself as a man and joined the monastery anyway. She purportedly rose up through the ranks and then served as pope for two years before her gender came to light after she gave birth uh, while riding a horse in a procession. I hate when that happens. <laughs> um, it's, it's just such an absurd assortment of details all kind of clambered into one that uh, that sounds just crazy. Uh, there is a lot about this story that's possibly apocryphal. And Katie and Sarah get into whether it was real or not. And they also get into the history of when people have believed it and when they haven't and why that has been the case at various points in history. So, again, it's another one that's quite complex. There are a lot of layers and still some question marks around the whole thing. Uh, so they covered that whole bananas episode We're going to talk about another chunk of episodes after we have a brief word from one of our sponsors. To get back to our most frequently requested archival episodes, uh, next up we have Emperor Norton, and that is from May 31st, 2010, from Katie and Sarah. So I reread the entirety of Neil Gaiman's Sandman over the holidays a couple of years ago, and as I did that, I jotted down some of the weird and interesting historical characters that make kind of cameos in that a comic series. One of the ones I got really excited about was Emperor Norton. And then I got back to the office after the holiday was over and actually started putting together the list of episodes that I had thought of. Uh, and I learned there was a podcast on him already. 
Joshua Norton had, in fact, been a pretty successful merchant in San Francisco during the gold rush. He made quite the fortune for himself, but he saw most of it vanish in one bad business decision. He disappeared from the scene for a couple years, and then when he came back to San Francisco on September 17th of 1859... He did so dressed as Napoleon, and he claimed that he was the emperor of the United States and the protector of Mexico. He held this self-proclaimed emperor post for 20 years. I'm imagining no one was paying him for this job. Well, I mean, not officially, but he did get a lot of his living expenses came from sort of fans of his. He he developed uh, he he became a very locally known character, and people people gave him money and helped him out. And uh, he was not actually homeless; he was living in a boarding house. And it became clear after his death that that was where he had been living and uh, and overseeing his empire. It was full of all sorts of documents related to the running of his empire of the United States. <laughs> Uh, the next one that gets requested frequently is Cynthia Ann and Quana Parker. And that episode, uh, there are two episodes. One is November 28th and one is December 5th. Those are both of 2012. Uh, and those are Sarah and Dublina episodes. So some of their later episodes. A lot of folks write in and ask us to do a podcast on the two of them, but Sarah and Dublina actually did two po- or two podcasts, one on each. Uh, we actually had our biggest spike in requests for this one after our episode on Olive Oatman, because like Olive, Cynthia Ann was captured, uh, in her case, by members of the Comanche tribe and wound up living among the tribe. Cynthia Ann was kidnapped when the fort where her family had been living was raided. Some of her family was killed, uh, and Cynthia Ann was taken captive. She was only nine at this time. And Cynthia Ann was the only one of her family who survived and was not ransomed back. Her story, not Olive's, is actually more likely to have been the basis for the movie The Searchers. We had a few questions about that once we did the Olive Oatman episode. Yeah, Cynthia, Cynthia Ann actually eventually married her abductor. She had three children with him, and the eldest, Quana, wound up being the Comanche's last war chief. It's a long and often a very sad story, and this two-part series is also a way of looking at the war that grew out of the United States' western expansion into the Great Plains. Next on our list is another thing about war, and that is the New York draft riots that came out on April 11th of 2011. It was another Sarah and Dublina venture, and most of our requests for it uh, mention the 2002 Martin Scorsese movie Gangs of New York. So whenever we get a pile of them in a row, I wonder if that was just replayed on TV <laughs> or maybe it's on Netflix right now or something because they t- they tend to come in in chunks. They do. They clump together. So during the Civil War, the Federal Congress passed the Union Conscription Act of 1863, which set up a draft. Basically, able-bodied men between the ages of 20 and 45 were required to register unless they could pay a fee or have a substitute take their place. And a lottery would determine who would actually serve. An attempt to enforce this draft on July 13th of 1863 led to a riot, and that riot included raiding and torching government buildings. About 300 people were killed, and a huge portion of those killed were police officers and soldiers. 
One of the many things that Sarah and Dublina talk about in this podcast is all of the social factors that led to this riot, including the influx of both Irish immigrants following the Great Famine in the late 1840s and the influx of recently freed slaves, many of them competing for the same low-wage jobs. It's a podcast that ties a lot of the themes that we've talked about in more recent podcasts as well all together, including the Harlem Hellfighters and the two-parter on the Irish potato famine itself. Uh, coming interestingly from, from this particular episode, when they, when they began that episode, they talked about how they were looking for creative ways to talk about the Civil War because they didn't just want to do a multi-part podcast on the Civil War itself. Uh, their next, the next topic on our list actually came from listeners' responses to that request. It is on Alan Pinkerton. It's from June 27th of 2011 and also obviously by Sarah and Dublina. So they had uh, asked for some Civil War topics and wound up putting together a series on Civil War spycraft. And one of them is the very frequently requested spy, Alan Pinkerton, whose name is so ubiquitous that he almost needs no introduction. He and the Pinkertons, which were his detective agency, became both famous and, and notorious in various parts of American history during and after the Civil War. And while the episode mostly sticks to his Civil War work, it also talks about his founding of the first National Detective Agency, this group called the Pinkertons, and his basically creating the job of private investigator, which had not existed before that time. We have a kind of fun one, the next on the list, and that is the Bone Wars, which is another one that Sarah and Dublina covered in two parts. They came out on December 31st of 2012 and January 9th of 2013. And our biggest spike in requests for an episode about this one definitely came in April of this year when Emmanuel Schopp, who's a vertebrate paleontologist at the New University of Lisbon in Portugal, suggested reversing the previous reversal in paleontological thought uh, about whether the Brontosaurus and the Apatosaurus are two different dinosaurs. That question was one of the many oddities of the scientific feud that has come to be known as the Bone Wars. This was an intense rivalry between Edward Drinker Cope and Othniel Charles Marsh. And the two men had been friends, but their competition with one another eventually caused a bitter divide between them. Their race to be the best paleontologist did, in fact, advance the field dramatically by finding and categorizing many, many fossil specimens. But unfortunately, their feud was so bitter and underhanded that it also actually stood in the way of progress. The whole Brontosaurus and Apatosaurus uh, question came into the picture because Marsh found an incomplete fossil, fossil skeleton that he named Apatosaurus. And then two years later, he found a different, more complete skeleton that he named the Brontosaurus. And they were actually, it, obviously, the, the decision goes back and forth about whether they were the same species or different species. Uh, but most people credit the fact that he named it something else with the fact that he was trying to discover more dinosaurs than Cope did. And another great thing about this particular two-parter is that it it makes call-outs to the other scientific rivalries that Sarah and Dublina covered, including the gas wars and Tesla versus Edison. Up next, we have the Boston Molasses Flood. That is from October 5th, 2009, which is a Katie and Sarah episode. And we actually don't get quite as many requests for it as we used to, uh, in part because we mentioned it in our first Six Impossible Episodes podcast that came out in February of this year. And in that particular episode, we talk about the London beer flood and why there's not quite enough information on it to flesh out a full episode. 
uh, especially since the Boston Molasses flood is already in the archive and they're extremely similar stories. In the 19-teens, molasses was, in fact, big business in Boston, thanks to its use in distilling and making munitions. And on January 15th of 1919, a tank that was holding 2.3 million gallons of it burst. 21 people died, 150 more were injured, and property damage from this huge wave of molasses, which crested at 25 feet tall, was enormous. One of the things that really cracks me up about this episode is that they're talking about what the weather was like in Boston at this point, uh, and they reference superstorms that dropped 20 inches of snow on Boston. Uh, I, I hate it when you mention bad weather and then somebody comes along and tells you that the weather is a lot worse where they live. But having been in Boston during last year's record-breaking uh, snow season that had 110 inches of snow or something, um, the idea that 20 was a superstorm made me giggle a little yes. when I heard it when I heard it on this show. It might have been if those 20 inches fell in like an hour, that would be a superstorm. Uh, but 20 inches by themselves is not necessarily super in New England. And with that, we are going to pause for just one more moment so we can have a word from one of the great sponsors that keeps this show going. So another podcast topic that is often requested is Oak Island. And this one was recorded in April of 2010. It's April 26th, to be exact, that it was published. Uh, and it is a Katie and Sarah episode. So their story about whether there is an Oak Island money pit isn't just about that question. The The name of the episode is actually, is there a money pit on Oak Island? Uh, and it, so it's not just about yes or no, there is or is not a money pit on Oak Island. It looks at the whole story of where this idea that maybe there's a pit full of money out there, where that idea came from, and the series of attempts that people have made to try to get to what may or may not be buried treasure. And at times they tell this story with a lot of chagrin because it seems like people were about to answer that question and then they went home for the night and everything was ruined when they got back in the morning. That is a... It's a thing that happens in this search for money pit. Yeah. And uh, in case you want even more on it, Stuff You Should Know also covered this one as well. And although theirs is much more recent from February 17th of 2015. And it's kind of funny how that goes sometimes. Like a podcast episode that one podcast does will inspire a How Stuff Works article, which in turn inspires a Stuff You Should Know episode. Or sometimes that chain goes in a different order, but... It's a you funny, know, interconnected thing. It is. And sometimes we've accidentally uh, done episodes on similar topics very close together without any of us actually knowing it. Because we don't usually yeah. consult with other podcasts on what they're doing. We sometimes do, but not as a matter of course. And so it is funny how sometimes something will happen. And yeah, the there's definitely go. there's definitely some overlap in the in the listeners of all the various podcasts that How Stuff Works has. But uh Folks that listen to Stuff You Should Know don't necessarily listen to ours on a regular basis or vice versa. Um, it's also kind of funny to me how at this point in the whole Oak Island money pit story, if there is actually a pit full of money, there has probably been more money spent trying to get to it than the pit would actually contain at this point. Yeah, I feel like the Oak Island story is the money pit at this point. Like, <laughs> I think they make that joke in the episode. Oh, do they? <laughs> like, it's just, it's its own whole money pit. Yep, yep. Uh, on a similarly wet but much sadder uh, track is the Johnstown flood. We've gotten lots and lots of requests for this one, and it came out on uh, uh, December 10th, 2012. Another Katie and Sarah 
uh, or no, it's another Sarah and Dublina. I'm getting the past hosts confused. Uh, it's another Sarah and Dublina podcast. And the South Fork Dam burst on May 31st, 1889, and it sent 20 million tons of water through Johnstown, Pennsylvania, killing 2,209 people which I think makes it make sense why so many people ask us for it, because we get a lot of requests for really sad stuff. We do. And it's one of those things where the numbers are so staggering and it, it's such an extreme and dramatic event that I think that's part of the appeal of people wanting to hear more about it. Uh, and one of the more surprising parts of this episode, if you're not already familiar with the story, comes right at the beginning. And that's that Johnstown was so prone to flooding that people basically had a routine to deal with it. Like they would do things like move their belongings upstairs when a flood was coming to try to protect those possessions. But this particular incident was far, far too big to be managed that way. It took an hour for the water to get to the town when a dam burst. But by the time it got there, it was said to be moving with the force of Niagara Falls. And so in addition to the thousands of people who were killed, the property damage was just enormous. And next up is uh, Nellie Bly. And she is often requested, but there is an episode about her, and it first aired on March 24th of 2010. It was an episode done by Katie and Sarah. And their episode on Nellie Bly walks through her career as a journalist, from the early days when she was only making $5 a week to the pinnacle when she was earning $25,000 a year. And that is in late 19th century, $25,000 a year. So that was a pretty significant income. One of the reasons why her story is so fascinating and so often requested is that the steps she took as a journalist were often extremely dramatic. She did things like feigning a mental illness to get uh, access to a mental institution and then do an expose on it. She made a record-breaking trip around the world. Um, so, and apart from the innate uh, excitement in a lot of these assignments that she had, she was also, these were also definitely not the sorts of writing tasks that were assigned to women at this time. And it's really clear, uh, if you listen to Katie and Sarah's episode, that they absolutely love her. And we do, too. It's a really good episode, so I highly encourage you to go <laughs> give that one a listen. Yeah, of all the ones that I listened to in, in preparing this episode, like, that is the one that has the most sheer delight in the voices of the hosts and what they're talking about. So I, I love her also. Um, Sarah and Dublina have done... Three different podcasts that are in some way related to Ned Kelly. And usually Ned Kelly is the person uh, who people specifically ask us to talk about. They did a podcast on Ned Kelly and then two podcasts on other bush rangers in Australia. And so the one that was just on Ned Kelly came out on uh, June 20th, 2011. And then on September 14th, 2011 and September 21st of that year, the two-parter came out on other bush rangers uh, who were basically outlaws on the Australian outback. So these episodes together wind up looking at about a 100 years of Australian outlaw history. And they take a look at the realities and the myths of Ned Kelly and the other bushrangers, since, as these stories often go, there are some elements that are real and others that have fallen into more romanticized mythology. So the facts may not always be accurate. And they also talk about how Australia became a haven for outlaw activity. And it was not just because a lot of bushrangers started as escaped convicts. Yeah, they spend a lot of time talking about the social factors that led to people turning to crime as basically a way of life. Uh, 
Ned Kelly and the Bush Rangers are actually so far off of my base of knowledge that the one time we have mentioned Bush Rangers in a past episode, I said it wrong. I said it in a different way than how it is pronounced. I'm not going to say it again because that was embarrassing. Meh. Uh, <laughs> if that is your worst crime, my dear. Uh, <laughs> so- <laughs> this next one's our last one. It is the most exciting, I think. Yeah, this one is the whale ship Essex. And this was covered by Katie and Sarah back in September of 2010. It uh, first aired on September 27th. And the whale ship Essex, in case you did not know, is the inspiration for the novel Moby Dick. But it was a real whaling ship that was attacked and sunk by a sperm whale in 1820. And the story of how that happened is really pretty harrowing. So we're going to leave that to Katie and Sarah because they did a lot of really good work on that. We don't want to steal their thunder. Well, and I'm actually really shocked we're not getting more requests for the whale ship Essex right now because as we are recording this, Marketing for the movie In the Heart of the Sea, which is based on a book about the whale ship Essex, is like it's at a fever pitch right now. I feel like every time I open up a new web page or turn on the television, there is a commercial for In the Heart of the Sea with the giant, giant whale tail destroying things. Well, I have a theory completely based in nothing. Just I I feel like the way that they're advertising it doesn't make it clear that it is based on anything grounded in reality. Um, it seems, it, it seems so big and over the top the way they're pitching it that it seems more like Michael Bay's history than like a, yeah, I, when I rewatched, I rewatched one of the trailers for it yesterday as I was working on this podcast and I had two immediate thoughts. And one was, there's a shot of some ships in a harbor, and I was like, I am pretty sure that is the Boston Tea Party Museum uh, and ships <laughs> shot from the air. Like, I don't, I'm, I think that might be what that is. And I thought about like going to research that and seeing if it really was a shot of the Boston Tea Party ships and museum because it really did look like that to me. Uh, and the other was that whale is just so big. I know <laughs> whales are large, but I have also been on a whale watch and the whales we saw were not nearly as like Leviathan as the one in the movie is. So, uh, yeah, I am wondering how the scale of the whale actually measures up to the reality of sperm whales. This is also when I'm really jealous of past hosts for covering like <laughs> really early, really, really early in the, in the life of us being on the show. Uh, I, I was putting together a list of things that I really, really wanted to talk about. And I was like, I want to talk about this whale ship that got sunk by a whale. But I can't because we have that already, which is fine. I love our past host. Basically, yeah, all the folks that have worked on the show are, are friends and colleagues. So uh, I'm happy they got to do it, but sad that I did not. <laughs> uh, and that is it for our most requested episode roundup. Uh, those are the things... <laughs> Uh, I, I, I put together this list through a couple of methods. Uh, one was just memory of the things people ask us for over and over. And one was looking in my sent items folder and outlook. Uh, and I, I've <laughs> emailed, I think it, it was like 236 emails that were links to episodes that we have already in my yeah. sent items folder. Uh, and then I was really embarrassed because I realized I had sent the same person multiple links on multiple days and I never realized it was the same person because there's so much, so we just, there's so much email. I was sending so much email. So, uh, that was yeah. kind of embarrassing. 
Well, I mean, I know for me, like, there's there's a point where we get so much email where uh, eventually I will sometimes like, oh, I remember this person. But it's hard to establish pattern recognition when you're getting so much. And we've talked about before how, like, the podcast is not the only thing that Tracy and I do. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, I'm in the middle of editing this article. Oh, there's another history email. I'll kind of shunt it off and read it later. And so it's like with the constant juggle of all this stuff, I have a really hard time developing pattern recognition and seeing yeah, yeah. Recognizing people's names over and over. We do, we do read all of your emails. We read them all. We answer a pitifully small proportion of them because there are so many, but we do, we do read them all. So thank you so much, everyone who sends us these wonderful emails that, that come into our inbox all the time. We love them. Uh, and so as we said at the top of the show, we're basically going to put links to all of these in our show notes at our blog at mistinhistory.com. So people who are interested, uh, in hearing these for the first time or in re-listening to an old favorite, whichever floats your boat, you can find all these in one place. Our awesome producer, Noel, is going to try to put together a shareable playlist of them also to make them easier to find. Um, and we will post links to all of that as many places as we can think of. Uh, and if you want to see whether we've got something you're interested in in our archive, we also have a blog post that Tracy put together, which is how to find old episodes of Stuff You Missed in History Class. And it basically has lots of tips on how to search and how to hunt for things uh, that might help you. If you are wishing we would do something, it might already exist, <laughs> either by us or previous hosts, and your wish could be instantly granted. I love it when the wish is instantly granted. I always feel kind of uh, guilty when somebody has clearly put so much time and thought into convincing us that we should do an episode on something. And it's something that we already have. Uh, (laughs) It it could be me overthinking things, but I always feel like if that were me getting the email back saying, Hey, we, we love that person. Also, here's a link to the episode that we have on them. Like that would kind of take the wind out of my sails. I don't know if it would or not for me, but I do feel bad that they spent time. They didn't have to making their case. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah, we have so many episodes in our archive, and uh, I would say um, just because in our archive on our website at MissingHistory.com, I have gone in and tried to put the person's name in the title for things that uh, that did not have their name, like uh, Don't Cross the Dragon Lady did not have the names right. in there. So I've like gone and I've put the names in as many of the titles as I can find to make them easier to find them before. And so uh, it may be a little easier on our website than in like iTunes. Um, so yeah, that is our most requested episodes that we already have. Do you have some fresh listener mail that does not in fact request an episode that already exists? Uh, it is so fresh. That it came in this morning. Yay! It is from Gabrielle, and it is from our very, very recent episode from yesterday, in terms of when we were recording this podcast, on the Gallipoli campaign. And Gabrielle says, Dear Tracy and Holly, I have just finished listening to your episode on the Gallipoli campaign, and it was very good, despite, as a New Zealander, I couldn't miss it in history class. One small point that has recently been made more widely known about the Anzac Biscuits is that although it is possible sweet biscuits were sent over in care packages and Anzacs are uh, good keepers and travel well, they became iconic because of the massive fundraising efforts for soldiers' aid societies such as the Red Cross in the early aftermath of the landing. 
Hundreds of bake sales and tables of works were set up, and most of them had a version of this oatmeal and coconut biscuit that is made without eggs and by melting together the butter and golden syrup. This recipe was popular during rationing, as it uses minimal amounts of scarce ingredients. At least one hospital ship was funded in this way. They also are the only exception to an act of parliament that forbids naming any commercial product after Anzacs and must be one made to the original recipe and two only called biscuits, never called cookies in their title. A well-known sandwich chain could not do the first when attempting to add it to their menu. Half chocolate dipped Anzac biscuits are becoming more popular uh, and during April commemorative tins are for sale in the supermarkets all over the country. And in Australia. Love the show, Gabrielle. Thank you so much for this awesome information about Anzac biscuits. Um, Gabrielle, my, my information that they were, uh, that they became famous for being sent to soldiers actually came from a prior listener mail from several years ago, uh, from somebody who actually sent us a recipe for how to make them. Um, which is delightful. And I have that recipe still. And maybe over the holidays when I have some extra baking time, uh, I will make some and see what they are like. So thank you again, Gabrielle, for sending that. That is great information. Uh, if you would like to write to us, we are at History Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash History, And our Twitter is History. Our Tumblr is MissedInHistory.tumblr.com. And we're on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash History. Uh, if you would like to learn more about something that we have talked about today, you can go and put the words Oak Island into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and you will find the article on the Oak Island money pit uh, that was inspired by our podcast and then inspired a podcast from Stuff You Should Know. Uh, if you can also come to our website where we will have the list of all of these episodes with links to all of them, where we have uh, our tips on how to search our archive in different formats. You can do all that and a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com or MissedInHistory.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 